I want to say welcome again. You are in the middle of our series that we are calling Take It Back. And I want to tell you where this series really came from. Before we started this series, I emailed our prayer team who loves praying for you every single week. And I just simply asked, hey, during our COVID season, what are people struggling with? What are their prayer requests? Just in general, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And the prayer requests all lean toward that it seems like individuals, it seems like couples, it seems like families just felt like they were losing in life. They were losing their joy. They were losing excitement. They were losing their connections. And God led us as a staff to really hone in on this idea that God wants you to take back what the enemy has stolen from you. And so maybe along life's journey during this COVID season, you could say amen to that, that you feel like you've lost some things along the way, some spiritual passion that you used to have that you lost, some connection with some family members, your spouse, maybe even your kids that you've just lost along the way. And this series, we are hoping challenges you. We are hoping that it helps you just take a step forward to take back what the enemy has stolen from you and you find once again that God loves you. He's got a plan for your life because here's what we know. When the enemy has taken something from you, when God gives it back to you, it becomes more valuable to you, becomes more precious to you. When you've lost a friendship, but that friendship is rekindled again, you just see it in a different way. You, you value the person in a way that you never have before. If your marriage almost died and God resurrects it back to life, you now have a marriage that you didn't have before and it's better than it ever was before. And so that's why we're doing this series because at some point, along life's journey, we just feel like that we get knocked to the, to the canvas of life and it's just hard to get back up. But what we believe God is saying to all of us is if that has happened to you and if you feel like that you've been knocked down, you have not been knocked out and God wants to breathe life back into what you've lost and to restore what the enemy may have stolen from you. And you may not know anything about this series when it's all done, but I hope you memorize this one verse because we're talking about it every single week. And it's what Jesus actually said. And here's what he said in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes only. And I'm teaching you a little bit more about this verse each time because the tense of the verse is actually this, that he might. Your version says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But the tense of the verb is actually that he might, which means this, he doesn't have to. You don't have to give him ground to steal, to kill, and destroy. It's what he wants to do. It's his strategy for your life. But you don't have to give him the ground permission or open the door for him to steal, kill, and destroy. Because this is his goal for your life. And if, you, if you're just jumping in with us, I encourage you to go back last week to watch what steal, kill, and destroy means. We break that down together. But it's that he might do this in your, in your life. But he doesn't have to. You don't have to let him because there's another one who came to do something else in your life. And it's Jesus. Here's what he said. I came to give you life and life to the full. When Jesus steps into a person's life, he doesn't make them better. He brings them back to life. Christianity is not about Jesus giving you a bunch of rules to improve your life. Christianity is about when you have reached the end of your life and you realize you're spiritually dead, 
disconnected from God and you cry out to him and he brings you to life. That's the gospel story. And it's beautiful because when that happens, you know it. It's not your story of, you know, I don't know. I just, I kind of grew up in church my whole life and you know, I just, I became a better, I still struggle every now and then, but I'm just doing the best I can and one day I'm going to go to heaven. That's not Christianity. Christianity is life beat me down to the mat. I had no hope left. I cried out to Jesus and he came and rescued me. And then he told me, I'm walking with you the rest of this journey all the way to my house and it's going to be the best ride you've ever been on. So hang with me. That is the story that Jesus offers us. Now, when that's happened to you, there is a passion, there is a fire that sets inside of your soul that you really can't explain to other people. You can try but it's hard to explain what he's done on the inside of you and Jesus said I came to give you life and this passion is ignited in you I remember one of my mentors when I was in seminary he would say this all the time this would be his phrase that he would say all the time one person with a passion can accomplish more than a hundred with an interest one person with a passion can accomplish so much more than you take a hundred people who are just kind of curious about it, just kind of interested in it. Just one with a passion. And passion, when I use passion throughout this message, I'm not talking about a feeling. Passion is defined this way. Passion, that which you are willing to suffer for, that's passion. There's something you're willing to suffer for. Why? Because you're passionate about it. That's passion. In, in my house, uh, we just finished the series on Netflix, and it's Medal of Honor. It's an amazing series. Um, I will let you know it's a war setting, so there's a lot of language, uh, but we were good with that because we fell in love with watching these men who were passionate about their soldiers, passionate about their country and passionate about conquering evil. And they were willing to suffer some, some, costing everything for them. Why? Because they were passionate about freedom. They were passionate about doing what's right. So inspiring passion is. It's contagious. Man, I look at my boys and I'm like, that right there, that's passion. People will follow you when you have passion like that. These men on the battlefield, willing to suffer, willing to sacrifice absolutely all that they had because passion is infectious. It just does something when you watch someone with a passion. And you are actually passionate about something. Why? Because you're willing to suffer through it, right? Hey, if you're a Texans fan, you suffer every single season, but you hang with them. That's your team. And you're going to suffer this Sunday and next Sunday, but you love them. Why? Because you're passionate. So you're willing to suffer through it. How about this picture? Just by the way, in the chat room, are you on the left or are you on the right? Just go ahead and let us know. Which one are you going for when lunchtime today? Are you a left or are you a righty? See, but here's the deal. Some of you are so physically fit, you suffer early in the morning and you're willing to get up and you do your early workouts and you don't eat what the rest of us eat. Why? Because you're passionate about working out. So you're willing to suffer for it and suffer through it. Uh, how about this picture here? 
really good for all the students. If you're a passionate learner, you want to do great in education, guess what you're willing to do? You're willing to suffer some of your time to get through a book, get through another book so that you can learn while all of your other buddies are playing Fortnite. But for you, you're passionate about learning so you suffer through what other boys just, they don't want time for that, right? How about this one? Worship. See, when Jesus has touched your life, you're willing to suffer through some things that other people just aren't willing to suffer through. Why? Because you're passionate about him. And here, here's how I wrote it down. When you're passionate about something, it doesn't feel like you're suffering though. You are, but it doesn't feel like it. Why? Because you love it. As a matter of fact, this is so true. Passion is expressed by love. Even though you may be suffering in the moment, to other people you're suffering, but not to you. Why? Because it's love. You take a couple who they meet one another, they fall in love. You don't have to tell them to buy one another gifts. You don't have to tell them to, hey, be sure to put my birthday on your calendar. It's coming up. They know. They put it on there. They put reminders a week in advance. You don't have to tell them to buy things for one another, work on communication, work on conflict resolution. They are eager to do that. Why? Because they're in love. This is why Jesus said these words as well. Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. By the way, this is the difference between relationship and religion. Religion would flip this verse around. Religion would say, obey my commands so that you'll love me. Here's what Jesus said. Love is what empowers. When you love me, there's something that will happen inside of you. You have no problem following me, walking with me. Love empowers and passion becomes very, very contagious. Now, if you want to know what you're passionate about, it's real simple. You're passionate about this if you calendar around it. If there's something that you make sure it's on the calendar, you work your schedule around it, you're going to make sure you have time, that you spend time with it. That's what you're passionate about. Uh, also, you would do this. If you're passionate, you dream about it. It's like you're always thinking about it. How can I make it better? How can I be a part of it? How can I advance it? How can I, how can I implement it a little bit more into my schedule? And, and also this, not only do you dream about it and talk about it, but you'll sacrifice for it. You have no problem sacrificing for that thing or that person or that group, that item. It's not a problem for you. Other people would go, man, you're sacrificing so much. Not to you. Why? Because you're passionate about it. Here's something else. You know you're passionate about it when you express it. You can't be passionate about something and not express it. A true Texans fan does ne never goes to a game. Well, let me back up. It's COVID. Never watches on TV and it's a great play and they go, <laughs> look, <laughs> that catch, that was awesome. No, 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 no. You're screaming, you're excited. Why? Because true passion expresses itself. Now, you know the question's coming. It's been coming every single week. So it's just you and Jesus. Here's my question for you. How's your passion? Where are you? Is it more on the apathetic side of things? Or when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to his kingdom, when it comes to advancing the gospel, when it comes to loving other people, would you say, man, I'm at a 10 right now. My love for him is empowering me to do things that I would have never done years ago. 
But because of what he's done in my life, I can't help it. I can't stop it. And I'm so passionate. Where would you put yourself? Or maybe you would say, I remember a day when, right? I was at an eight, a nine, a 10, and my passion just kind of falling back a little bit. See, this is what this message is about. What if we take back what you lost in your passion with him? What if you're able to humble yourself? This is what repentance is. We humble ourselves to say, Jesus, I used to love you a whole lot more than I do now. And I want you to know I'm sorry, but I'm coming back. I want to take back. I want to come back to you relationally. And I want to fall back in love with you because I need your power in my life to do what you're calling me to do and just to be with you again. You see, it's so interesting, this word apathy. Apathy is a killer in your life. It's a killer in your relationships. And what's interesting about apathy is it happens so slowly. It just kind of erodes your passion away. You just don't care anymore. You use words like this. What's the use? Yeah, I used to, but you know, things change. I used to be involved, but you know what? I'm just just so busy now. You know what? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, everybody, what is it for you? Uh, this is something true about apathy. It's in Matthew 24, verse 12. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness. This is what Jesus said. That those who hearts, here's the love part. The hearts once burned with passion for God will grow cold. It's the day we live in. It seems like it anyway, doesn't it? Used to be so on fire, passionate for God. But now it's just, it's grown cold. It doesn't happen overnight. It just happens slowly. Apathy slowly eats away at your heart. And you wake up one day and it's just like you're numb to the things of God. It's like, it's like you've lost your life. It's like you've lost your passion, your spiritual walk with God. Why? Because it slowly eats away at your heart. It's what apathy does. Passion, on the other hand, is totally different. There's a story in the Old Testament with Joshua and Caleb. And if you've never read it, um, they were to go over and look into a land that God called the promised land. And they were supposed to go over and they went over with a few other men and they were to look into the land and they were supposed to strategize on, okay, God, God's told us to do this. God has told us this is our land. So how are we going to take it from the enemy? What are we going to do? Let's just strategize and go talk about it. Well, when they looked over, they looked over at the men in this land and they thought, Oh my heavens, there's no way we can conquer that land. Too many giants, too big. Except Joshua and Caleb truly believed they could. Their passion for the Lord resulted in a passion to accomplish great things for the Lord. So when all the men came back, all the men said, there's no way. The giants are too big. We can never conquer them. Except Joshua and Caleb. They thought, are you kidding me? God is so big, we can do amazing things with him on our side. I love what Joshua says in these verses. He recaps, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to explore the land. Here's the key. I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. There's the passion. 
Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So now, when they come back and most of the spies says, we can't do it, God says, okay, why don't you just wander around in the wilderness for 40 years? So now, 45 years later, here's what he says. So here I am today, 85 years old. And I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as, here's the word, passionate to go out to the battle now as I was then. Look at these words from an 85-year-old man. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, and by the way, if you're like, who the Anakites? In the Bible, anytime there's a night, Anakites, Moabites, Mosquito Bites, it's a bad deal. They're bad people. Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, 85 years old, I will drive them out just as he said. Listen, when it's passion in your heart, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter how old you are. Wholeheartedly, he loved God even in the wilderness. And now at 85, he's going, I still got it in me. Let's go. And I don't know if it's like with a king. I'll take him down. With God on my side, I can do absolutely anything. He knows his strength's not from him. He knows his strength is actually from God. You know, it kind of looks like this in our journey. And I'll use two people in love. This could be a friendship. It could be a, 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 a husband and wife. And that's what I'm going to use is, is a marriage. Because it so illustrates our walk with God. But it could be whoever it is in your life. But when they fall in love, there's this anticipation, right? There's this excitement. I've met the one. Life is going to be amazing for the rest of my life. This is going to be unbelievable. And then when they get married, you got this honeymoon phase. And they're like, <laughs> everywhere they go, the birds are singing. The air is just blowing in their face. Music is always playing. And here's what they're thinking. I have found life itself. And this is the joy of my soul for the rest of my days. And then this comes. It just becomes normal. And they're like, oh, okay, so this, this, okay, so this is how it all works? Okay, well, I'm, I'm okay with it. Not like what I was dreaming of, but we'll kind of settle there. That's fine. And then what happens to every relationship? There's this desert period. And then in the desert period for a couple, it's like, hang on just a minute. I didn't know you were like that. Hang on, just, I didn't sign up for that. Man, it, it ain't even Halloween, but I feel like I'm in some kind of horror movie with you and I want out. Most couples go through this because it's a feeling, right? And it's a feeling when they hit the desert. But, but, if you hang in there, you're able to experience something else and it's the promised land. There's a greater love you can have with one another that you didn't have before. You know, in, in what we're talking about, this is where apathy can set in. And this is where passion sets in because it's not a feeling. It's that I'm willing to suffer through this because I'm choosing to love you. This really is a perfect example of our relationship with Jesus. We meet Jesus and we think, are you kidding me? He loves me for me. And he's talking to me. I get to talk with the creator of the universe. He died for me. He sacrificed for me. And your world flips upside down. And there's this honeymoon phase where you get every parking spot up front. 
And you're like, Jesus loves me so much. Everything works out in your favor and you're thinking, this is the best thing ever, this thing called Christianity. And then, and then this is so sad. Then you get around other Christians and you think, oh, so, so this, this is how it works? Uh, so like you can serve some and not, so you can go when you want to and not, I mean, so, th- okay, so this is a normal life. This Christian life is, is a no- and then to every single follower of Jesus comes a desert. And the questions you ask are the same questions I've asked. Why aren't you talking to me anymore? Why can't I hear you anymore? Why can't I feel you anymore? Why aren't you speaking to me? Back here you were talking to me so much I could hear you so clearly. But where are you now and why has this happened to me? And God doesn't come through the way you want him to. So you start wondering, maybe you're not all powerful. Maybe you're not all loving. And right here, apathy can set in. But what you discover over time, if it's your passion continues to love him, you discover you begin to love him for who he is and not what he's done for you. And you push through to a promised land with him. And now your relationship is built on passion because of his love for you, not your love for him. And everything changes in that moment. And you might be thinking, but what if I go down again? Let me help you out. You will. There'll be another desert in your life. This is life. This is the journey. But this is the great thing. Expand the lifespan. And here's what happens. Your lowest point later on in your years is actually higher than your highest point with him so long ago. Oh, this happens. This happens in marriages. And it certainly happens with Jesus. But to hang on, you discover his character. You discover he is good even when times are bad. And your passion with him, your your passion for him can actually grow in the desert and not diminish. And you experience a part of him in your relationship you never had before. There's, There's this interesting story in the Old Testament. It's this prophet of God, Elisha. And he comes talking to a king and it's so interesting that the, the, there's battles happening and the prophet walks in and he says these words to the king. Take the arrows, there's arrows because of war and all this, and the king took them. And Elisha, this is the prophet of God, the man of God, told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Keep going. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you'll defeat it only three times. (laughs) And you're wondering, what's that got to do with anything? It's an amazing story. Prophet of God walks in. He says, hey, I know you're in battle. Here's what I want you to do. Pick up the arrows. And he gets the arrows and he goes, I want you to strike the ground. And he just goes, apathy. And the the servant of God, the prophet Elijah goes, what are you doing? I told you to strike the ground. But instead, why did you stop? Where's the passion, man? You, You are the king of this army. And instead, you just, okay. And he tells him, you're going to get what you're fighting for. You fighting for three victories? Well, guess what? That's what you're going to get. But what you should have done is not stop 
Don't let apathy set in your heart. Just keep striking the ground until there's a breakthrough. Keep striking the ground until your enemy is completely defeated. But apathy will make you just stop striking the ground. See, here's, here's the question. What has apathy in your heart cost the people in your life? How's your marriage? Just going through the motions? Come on, come on, come on. In your parenting with your kids. What's it costing your kids? What's it costing your spouse? What's it costing you spiritually in your relationship with God? What's it costing you in your marriage? In your ministry? In your workplace? In your friendships? Apathy says, just strike the ground, man. Just strike it. Just strike it. And yet God shows up on the scene and says, I want you to strike the ground. Don't give up. Don't stop. You're made to be a warrior. You're made to be on the battleground. The church, the church is not a cruise ship. The church is actually a battleship. And you are made to push back darkness. Don't stop striking the ground even when it's hard. Don't give up. I'm just telling you, even if you're in the desert, don't stop striking the ground. And, and all of us, listen, me included, can just fade away from passion into apathy. And, and there's so many different reasons. I wrote down three. Maybe it hits home with you, but these are all of mine, by the way. These are mine. Why does, why does passion lost? Graceless living. We just lose sight of grace. That he rescued us. That he redeemed us. That he bought us. In spite of ourselves, in spite of our sin. Yeah, no perfect people allowed, but don't stay that way. That's what grace says. Grace says, no perfect people allowed, but I got a better life for you and I want to give you life, right? Um, may, maybe your passion is lost because of apathy of others. I'm telling you, just passion is contagious, but so is apathy. And when you're around people who just don't care, who just take life, they're just hitting the ground, you just look around and you go, what's the use? And you just start hitting the ground. By the way, on the other side of that, if you want to be passionate, you hang out with passionate people. You need a passion for Jesus. You find someone who is passionate about Jesus almost to the obnoxious point. You know what I'm saying? And you just say, I want to go to lunch with you. I just want to go hang out with you. If debt has got you in an apathetic, we're never going to get out of this. You hang out with somebody who got out of debt. And they will tell you what freedom is all about financially. Journey, absolutely. Hard, absolutely. You, you've lost passion in your marriage. Hang out with a couple who was exactly where you were and let them tell you their story. See, passion becomes contagious, just like apathy. How about this one? Distractions. My, my wife and I were talking about this this past week. It's so easy to get distracted by good things. But when the good thing becomes the main thing, it's the wrong thing. When it's good, it can be right. It can be godly. But it's still not the main thing. It'll be the wrong thing. And in time, not overnight, in time, your heart just kind of fades away and becomes apathetic to the things of God. See, here's the thing. If one of those, if all of those describe your life, 
we can stop and go, well, where do I start? Where do I start? Listen, the answer is not in doing something from this message. The answer is in realizing something from this message. There was a day when Jesus walked into the temple and he was ticked off. (laughs) Some of you men are like, well, he got ticked off. I can too. Awesome. Praise God. So he walks into the temple and you've got the religious leaders ripping people off. There was a sacrificial system. They are taking the money from the poor like crazy, offering them things that God never even wanted and they're defiled. It was a bad scene, bad day. Jesus walks in and he starts flipping tables over in Jesus' name, in his name. I mean, he's just going nuts is what I'm saying. Losing his mind. And then he says these words. Passion for God's house will consume me. Jesus, you want to know what I'm passionate about? You want to know what I dream about? You want to know what consumes me? What I'm willing to suffer for no matter the cost? Are you ready? God's house consumes me. Now, don't think that he's talking about the bridge, church, brick, mortar, carpet, lights. No, 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 no. When you keep reading in scripture... For the person who opens up their life to him, the Holy Spirit comes into their heart and it says that he takes up residence and your life becomes his house. Jesus is passionately consumed with you and he loves you. What consumes him that he would suffer so much? You, his house where he wants to abide, dwell, live, rest, it's you. So this message is not about going out and doing something. It's about stopping to realize he's at a 10 with you. He's just inviting you to join him where he already is in a loving relationship. And when you see this happen in someone's life, it becomes very contagious for you. I don't care how long you've been around church. If something doesn't happen in your life, you might want to just step back to go, have I ever really, really said yes to him? We had a baptism little party here the other day in this room. And uh, and I shared Derek's story with you last week. Uh, There was another lady who was baptized. Her name is Katie. This is Katie Palmer. And an amazing story. And I asked her, I said, could I read some of your story today? And she said, absolutely. Katie overcome with Jesus' passionate love for her life. And as a matter of fact, uh, Kurt's there about to baptize her. And she cried getting into the water. Sorry, Katie, I'm telling them. It was awesome. She cried getting into the water, just overwhelmed with Jesus' love for her. And she's looking at me right here as I'm reading her story. And this is her story. Before I knew Jesus personally, people would ask me what church I attended. And my response was always, I don't go to church. I'm good. I thought I was controlling my life and doing a good job at it. Boy, did God let me know I was not doing a good job at all. My relationships were slowly crumbling and I did not have the love or guidance to try and fix it. I once sought the guidance of a Christian counselor, but when I talked to her, I said, please, no talk of religion at all. Why even go to a Christian counselor, right? 
Without the love and guidance of Christ, I simply made decisions that didn't lead to life itself. It was a very dark time in my life. But then, September 22nd, 2019 was the first time I walked into the bridge and my life was changed. It wasn't a drastic shift outwardly, but there was a shift in my thoughts and in my heart. Something happened that day. I heard the gospel for the very first time. I grew up Catholic, but never heard the gospel before. And since that day, I've gone through the biggest trial so far. I had nowhere to go but straight to God. And this is when my journey of humility began. Romans 5, 4 is a verse I look to and I see myself the most in. And now I hold so much hope in my life and for my future because I now have full faith in Jesus Christ. He's my father, my savior. So to Jesus, I would like to say, I'm your servant. Show me how to grow more in your image. To my friends and family, thank you for knowing my heart and believing in me and loving me through the dark seasons of my life. Katie, the true gospel, the full gospel, she just reached a point where she got knocked down on the mat, almost knocked out, and just said, I need you, Jesus. And Jesus didn't come to make her life better. He came to give her a brand new life. And now the passion in her life is growing so much, it's just contagious, isn't it? Let me ask you something. Have you ever said yes to him? Surrendered your life to him? Not a religion, but to say, maybe even you would humble yourself to say, I've done a lot of religion. I've been to a lot of churches. But to truly surrender my heart, I never have. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Would you pray with me? Just say these words, dear Jesus, I need you. And the best way I know how, I give my heart to you. I tell you today, I love you. And I also tell you, I'm sorry for all the sins I've committed against you. I need forgiveness today. I need a savior today. I believe you died and suffered for my sin. And I also believe you came back to life to give me life. So I receive you in my heart to make my life your home today. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for loving me right where I am. And thank you for changing me today. In your name I pray, amen.